The topic of our Dhamma talk this evening is certainly the three roots of unwholesomeness and wholesomeness. Now, the Sangiti Sutta of Fatna, the long discourses of Fatna, the Buddha states the following, namely, there are three roots of the unwholesome consisting of greed, hatred, and delusion, and there are the three roots of the wholesome consisting of non-greed, non-hatred, and non-delusion. Now, what we shall do is, in the course of Fatna, this discourse, first Fatna, and give a quick Fatna definition of the term Mula, the Pali term Mula, which uh, means a root. And uh, having done so, we shall take a closer look at uh, the range of those Satna six, uh, 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 those Satna roots of unwholesomeness and uh, the roots of wholesomeness. And then having uh, done uh, that, what Satna will follow is uh, an explanation of what is meant by kusala, akusala, so unwholesomeness, wholesomeness, or kusala is wholesomeness, or kusala is wholesomeness, and akusala is unwholesomeness. And uh, uh, then we'll proceed to uh, give Fatna various criteria that Satna, the Buddha has Satna provided and in order or for the and distinction between what is wholesome and what is unwholesome. Now, once we're done with all of Fatna, this will apply our that knowledge to the first root of unwholesomeness, namely greed. And we'll explore the details of that. Formally defined, a root is a mental factor which establishes firmness and stability in the in consciousness and the mental factors with which it is associated. The commentaries provide us with additional information, namely, they say the term root has the sense of firm support, cause, condition, and producer. The figurative character of the term suggests that the roots can also be taken as conveyors of the nourishing sap of the wholesome or unwholesome. They convey this sap to the mental factors 
and you know, functions existing simultaneously with themselves as well as to the wholesome or unwholesome actions in which they issue. They're further said to be producers, namely by being productive of rebirth. Now, when it comes to the three roots of unwholesomeness, as well as the three roots of wholesomeness, each one covers all degrees of intensity. So going from the weakest or the mildest certain forms of the defilements to the most intense forms. And they, each of those roots also covers a great variety, different manifestations of those roots. So when it comes to the first root of unwholesomeness, as we have seen, this is greed in the Pali scriptural language known as Loba. Now, more than one week of practice has gone by, and would you have other, or have you come across other forms, or have you come across aspects of greed in your meditation practice? If so, what kind of aspects? Greed, is that the only word that comes to your mind? And with that, your vocabulary ends. <laughs> Yes, son, Jen. Wanting. wanting, yes, indeed. And suddenly, wanting various things, and uh, apart from wanting. So we've got two words greed and wanting. What's that? Clinging. Clinging, yes, correct. What else? Craving, lusting. Craving, lusting. Now we're getting going here. <laughs> Craving, lusting, and certainly then um, also things like liking, desiring, wishing, preferring, uh, preferring having preferences. Anything else? Favoring. Yeah, favoring. There you go. Seeming What's that? Seeming need. Seeming need. Yes. Needing, yes, needing, uh-huh, that's correct. And so a term you know, that has been mentioned during the discourses here on many occasions is, it starts with an A, is attachment. There you go. So attachment would be another one. And so then we have things like 
passion. We have certain things like possessiveness, wanting to possess, and so, uh, then uh, a desire for the sense objects, desire for wealth, for name, for fame, and sadness, so on. So, this is just to show you that certain the term loba in the Pali scripture language then covers not only greed but it covers a whole uh, range of aspects that are you know, related to greed or come or fall under you know, the aspect of uh, or the heading of greed. The same thing then goes for hatred and also for delusion, and we shall explore you know, those in forthcoming Dhamma talks. Now, the Pali term kusala, according to context, may take on different meanings, such as clever, being expert, good, right, as well as meanings such as skillful, meritorious, profitable, and wholesome. Now, as a Buddhist technical term, it implies both in the Pali scripture language as well as in the Sanskrit language, a moral sense connoting morally profitable or morally skillful, morally wholesome um, actions of the body, of fitness, speech, and mind, which are conducive you know, to the uh, attainment of Nibbana or the release from suffering. Closely tied up with the concept of wholesomeness is its opposite name, <coughs> unwholesomeness, akusala in the Pali scriptural language. And these twin concepts of kusala and akusala occupy a very important place in Buddhist ethical teachings. Not only a very important place, but also a very fundamental place. And already within the first few days of an intensive retreat, a retreatant may, uh, from direct experience, learn to may or start to make that distinction between what is akusala and what is kusala. So when you think of the five hindrances, those would fall <coughs> under what? The five hindrances fall under Akusala. Now, 
The characteristic of Nibbana is that it is free from greed, from hatred, and from delusion. So on the one hand side, we have the roots of unwholesomeness, consisting of greed, hatred, and delusion. On the other hand, at the other end, we have that state that is free from greed, hatred, and delusion. Which way do you want to go? <laughs> A simple question. Now, the three mental factors of greed, hatred, and certain delusion have a serious implications for one thing. They prolong samsaric existence, so our going uh, round and round in the cycle of birth and death, and uh, they are the root causes of all unwholesomeness. On the other hand, aloba, adosa, and moha are the root causes of all wholesomeness. Simply defined, akusala is whatever action that stands contrary to Nibbana and hinders its attainment, whereas wholesomeness, kusala, is whatever action that is in conformity with Nibbana and conduces to its attainment. The wholesomeness or unwholesomeness of an action in Pali referred to as Kamma is determined by the presence of either greed, hatred, or delusion, or you know, the absence of, or the opposite of those, namely non greed, non hatred, and non delusion. So in terms of definitions for Kusala and Kusala, we have, with what has been said just now, we have already one definition. Namely, that Akusala is all that that uh, stands contrary to Nibbana and hinders its attainment, whereas wholesomeness is all that that conduces to or is in conformity with Nibbana and conduces to its attainment. Now, there the texts certainly provide us with yet another, a very simple definition for kusala and akusala. And the definition can be found in 
that same Rahula Wad Sutat Marcia has mentioned in one of the earlier demodogs. Namely, the advice of the Buddha given to his son Rahula. Now, so there in the Majjhima Nikaya, its first volume, section 415 and onwards, we find the following Rahula, when you wish to do an action with the body, you should reflect upon that same bodily action thus. With this action that I wish to do with the body lead to my own affliction or to the affliction of others or to the affliction of both. Is it an unwholesome bodily action with painful consequences, with painful results. When you reflect, if you know this action that I wish to do with the body would lead to my own affliction or to the affliction of others, or to the affliction of both, it is unwholesome bodily action with painful consequences, with painful results, then you definitely should not do such an action with the body. And then the same principle applies to verbal action, so speech, as well as to mental action, thinking, mental states, and so on. But when you reflect and you know this action that I wish to do with the body would not lead to my own affliction or to the affliction of others or to the affliction of both, it is a wholesome bodily action with pleasant results or consequences with pleasant with pleasant consequences with pleasant results then you may do such an action with the body so that satya then is a very simple but effective criterion and of course, it means that before we rush ahead with some bodily, verbal or mental action, that we want to pause for a moment or two in order to define, in order to gain clarity whether a certain action plan will be for one's own affliction, the affliction of others or both. Now, there are at least three passages for yet another definition of, uh, 
or another um, criterion that certainly might help us to define what is wholesome and what is unwholesome. In this case, the point of reference is more to, or shifts more to the individual. And in this regard, one should compare others with oneself and refrain from doing against others such acts that one does not wish to be done to oneself. Before taking another's property, one should certainly carefully reflect whether one would certainly like it if someone else were to come along and certainly take some of one's certain valuable uh, property. And of course, certainly the answer is evident. And certainly thus, just like one doesn't, or just as one doesn't like this to happen to oneself, well, so too others will also not like it. Now, the Dhammapada contains two verses that Satna referred to just that Satna uh, yardstick. And Satna verse 129 uh, speaks or uh, goes as follows All are afraid of the stick, all fear death, putting oneself in another's place, one should not beat or kill others. So this verse uh, then um, obviously helps or provides a, a criterion, a yardstick for the decisions that concern um, violence, contemplating an act of violence. <coughs> now, Related to this and expanding is Satna Dhammapada verse 130, which says, which says, All are afraid of the stick, all hold their lives dear, putting oneself in another's place, one should not beat or kill others. Now, the Sutta Nipata, which is a collection of short Satna discourses, then has a pretty similar statement, just as I am, so are they, just as they are, so am I. One should neither kill nor cause others to kill. So others are human beings just like I am a human being. 
others prefer to live happy, or others prefer happiness and are aversive to uh, death. Likewise, um, I am also, I prefer happiness and am aversive to uh, death. So with this, we have three different definitions or three different ways how to make this distinction between kusala and akusala. First off, whether an action is conducive to um, or in conformity with Nibbana and conducive to its attainment or not. Then uh, secondly, <coughs> whether an action will bring harm to oneself and others and both. And uh, then uh, thirdly, taking oneself as a yardstick. Now, this distinction between wholesomeness and unwholesomeness is based on a certain assumption, namely that we have at least some range of uh, uh, decision-making. Without Satna that, it will not work. If the whole thing were to be based on determinism, namely that every, or fatalism, that everything is predestined, then the distinction in Kusala and Akusala, or the, you know, the choice between Kusala and Akusala, doesn't, much, doesn't make much sense anymore. The Buddha explicitly accepts the position that the individual has, of course, within a context of causal conditioning, the freedom of choice between what is wholesome and what is unwholesome. The Buddhist teachings or Buddhist teachings accept that the individual bears a certain amount of capacity for personal initiative, as Satna is evident from the Pali term Arambadatu, so that's an effort, an element of effort, as well as personal action, Bodhisakara in the Pali scriptural language, or individual action, Atakara. Now, with regard to 
wholesomeness and unwholesomeness. What do you think the Buddha's, one of the Buddha's main pieces of advice was? Yes? Develop the wholesome, abandon the others. That's it, correct. And so the relevant passage was quoted already by Marcia during her talk yesterday. But because it's such an important um, passage, allow me to restate it. So, the first volume of the Anguja Nikaya, section 58, contains uh, the following uh, words. Abandon what is unskillful or unwholesome. No, sorry. It is possible to abandon what is unwholesome if it were not possible to abandon what is unwholesome i would not say to you abandon what is unwholesome but because it is possible to abandon what is unwholesome i say to you abandon what is unwholesome if this abandoning of what is unwholesome were conducive to harm and pain, I would not say to you, abandon what is unskillful or unwholesome. But because this abandoning of what is unskillful is conducive to benefit and pleasure, I say to you, abandon what is unwholesome. And develop what is skillful, it is possible to develop what is skillful, what is wholesome. If it were not possible to develop what is wholesome, I would not say to you, develop what is wholesome. But because it is possible to develop what is wholesome, I say to you, develop what is wholesome. If this development of what is wholesome were conducive to harm and pain, I would not say to you, develop what is wholesome. But because this development of what is wholesome is conducive to benefit and pleasure, I say to you, develop what is wholesome. So this, in very simple terms, then highlights the very fundamental direction of our spiritual practice. For one thing, we want to see, of, see, understand what is unwholesome, and then gradually learn to abandon that. And of course, there are so many aspects to the unwholesome, to what is unwholesome. And then, and we also want to develop what is wholesome and the many aspects that come along with that. Now, the Atasalini, 
which is the commentary to the Dhamma Sangani, gives us Satna the following definition of wholesomeness of Kusala. It says Kusala has faultless happy results as its characteristic. Destruction of unwholesomeness is said to be its function. Purity is its manifestation and wise attention is said to be its proximate cause. So when we perform wholesome deeds, wholesome results, happy faultless results are to be expected and the opposite applies to unwholesomeness. When wholesomeness is there, it uh, no, no, then uh, takes care uh, of the unwholesomeness, obliterates you know, the unwholesomeness. So unwholesomeness has the characteristic of faultiness and unwanted bad results. And the function of unwholesomeness is said to be opposition to wholesomeness. The second function of unwholesomeness is that um, our production of harm, of misfortune, is uh, uh, its second function. And in terms of the manifestation, it uh, manifests as obscurity or impurity, and unwise attention is said to be the proximate cause for the arising of Akusala. Now, the theme for the next few discourses is expressed in the following passage from the 22nd collection of the Samyutta Nikaya, Discourse 100. For a long time, Often, O oh retreatants, should you reflect upon your own mind thus. For a long time has this <coughs> mind been defiled by greed, by hatred, by delusion. Mental defilements make beings impure, mental cleansing, purifies them. So in order to understand a mental state like greed, we have to, or sorry, in order to properly deal with 
the first root of unwholesomeness, we have to carefully observe it and come to know its nature. We need to investigate it. And there are many things you know, to be uh, known about, to be known, to, un to be understood about the nature of greed. So, based on what has been said so far, in the presence of greed, what happens to any action? It becomes unwholesome. That's correct. And the texts, or more specifically the Abhidhamma, speaks of various types of consciousness. And there's this distinction between wholesome consciousness, unwholesome consciousness, and other forms of consciousness. And among the forms of unwholesome consciousness, we have that those types of uh, consciousness that are rooted in uh, greed. In Pali, they are known as loba, mula, chitta. So loba is your greed, mula is your root, and chitta is consciousness. And there are eight types of those. And sadness of greed that is accompanied by um, joy or pleasant feeling. And suddenly then in one case that consciousness arises in an unprompted manner. The second consciousness arises in a prompted manner. Then we have again greed accompanied, uh, sorry, uh, the joy is also accompanied by wrong view and or the consciousness, greed consciousness is accompanied by associated with wrong view. Then uh, we have um, consciousness that is rooted in, or one consciousness that is accompanied by um, by joy, but this time disassociated from wrong view, and then again one case of an unprompted consciousness and one case of a prompted consciousness. And then the same pattern goes suddenly for um, a form of consciousness that is accompanied by equanimity, so a neutral feeling in one case associated with wrong view, then unprompted, prompted, and then mm, consciousness that is accompanied by, again, equanimity, and then uh, disassociated from wrong view, and again, un unprompted and prompted. So the Buddhist Abhidhamma is pretty specific when it comes to the description of the different types of consciousness. Now, there's by now 
there should be no question about the fact that greed is a mental defilement. And the mental factor of greed itself is defiled and it does still another thing, it also defiles other associated states that arise together with it. Greed, to uh, some extent, is similar to craving tanha, and greed has been, in the texts, or has been described by the Buddha in various ways, as is recorded in the text. The Itiwutaka, for example, in its section 85, speaks of greed as an internal taint, that defiles the mind as a cloud covers the you know, this covers the sun, or greed has also been described or compared to as an enemy of the mind, an adversary of the mind, as smoke is to the sun. Now, the more greed arises and uh, uh, is active in the mind, the more what happens? The more we get what we want? Ah, the more suffering there will be. So there is a pretty direct relationship here between the intensity of uh, greed and uh, the greed that is present in the stream of consciousness and uh, the suffering that, uh, the intensity of the suffering that follows. Now, as we have seen already, the greed will, the greed itself is a defiled state it also defiles other associated states and uh, there's yet another aspect it tends to bring about another or other unwholesome states and to bring about to produce other harmful states anatta janana in the pali uh, scriptural language and the greed together with those other harmful states then hinder a proper development of the mind and one's practice. Now, the Itivutaka in its section 88 has the following four verses or god or stanzas stanzas or gatas with regard to greed it says greed is a cause of harm unrest of mind it brings this danger that has grown within blind folk are 
unaware of it. A greedy person cannot see the facts, nor can he or she understand the Dhamma when greed has overpowered uh, the person. In complete darkness one is plunged, but he or she who does not crave and can forsake this greed and what incites to greed from him or her greed quickly uh, slides or glides off like water from a lotus leaf. Now, the Anguchanikaya in its section of the third or chapter of the thirds, Discourse 68 gives a description of the relationship between the relationship well, a comparison of those three unwholesome roots in terms of their fault and their fading away. And the passage is as follows. Maybe to first give you the context, the Buddha spoke to a group of his monastic disciples, saying, if ever you get asked by some heretics, by some wanderers who come along and want to start a debate or a dispute, and should they ask you the following questions, then reply to them in such and such a way. Namely, there may be outsiders, oh, monastics, who will ask you, there are, friends, three states of mind, greed, hatred, and delusion. What is their distinction, their diversity, their difference? Questioned thus, you may explain it to those outsiders in this way. Greed is a lesser fault and fades away slowly. Hatred is a great fault and fades away. What do you think? Slowly? Quickly. No, uh, you're correct. Fades away quickly. Delusion is a great fault and fades away slowly. Now we'll focus for the time being, we'll just focus on greed. The commentary explains that greed, from a point of view of public opinion or public perception, is a lesser fault because 
the greed, or, or at the time of Fatna the Buddha, when parent time of the Buddha, even nowadays, in you know, places like India and Nepal, when parents would suddenly then meet each other and then um, arrange a marriage. And so the greed, so with that, there's at first uh, no greed in you know, those uh, uh, who, you know, the kids suddenly then uh, get suddenly chosen. However, in the context of the marriage, of course, greed may uh, occur. However, you know, when you know, there is contentment with the spouse, you know, then uh, that you know, there is uh, no fault with this. Now, greed is certainly said to you know, fade slowly. And the example given here in this very specific example it might not necessarily cover all cases. It's said to fade away slowly because if someone is terribly in love with another person and certainly that Mm, love that maybe is certainly not certainly granted, then the craving for that desired person may last not just for a month or two, but might last certainly for uh, many years, might even last for you know, several existences. And so in that sense, Greed is said to fade away slowly. It might last for a long period of time. In the worst case, where can the greed lead us to? If we act out of greed, out of really intense unjustified greed. Ultimately, uh, there you go, a state of loss. So there's to be considered not just the results in our, the karmic results in our present existence, but there's also to be considered you know, the consequences uh, when it comes to rebirth, where in which realm rebirth takes place. So forms of intense and unjustified, or intense, and unjustified greed, those, in the worst case, may lead to taking rebirth in a state of loss. So one does have to take this a bit seriously. Now, the Diganikaya, in, in a very simple way, in a very factual manner, states that 
Greed, hatred, and delusion lead to diminution. That's the translation by uh, Boris Walsh. But uh, maybe a different way of putting this is uh, those three lead to decline. So if a human being is driven by excessive greed in whatever he or she is doing and saying and thinking, then that eventually will lead, this will eventually have unwholesome consequences and certainly will lead to a decline. Now, on the other hand, a person who is committed to develop the wholesome, what is wholesome, and is committed to the opposite of greed, namely non-greed, and develops this, this leads to distinction. So if you think of people like um, Mother Teresa, who one cannot certainly say that she was a greedy person who certainly sacrificed her entire life for the poor and dying in Calcutta and many other places and in India. Well, in her case, it has led her to distinction. So, the, the work she has been doing is so outstanding that society as a whole recognizes it. But the, wor the work done by an extremely greedy person is not necessarily you know, cherished by society. implication of greed is that, let's say, we are uh, uh, running a business and certainly very much greed-driven, wishing for more and more success, and uh, as certainly when then an invitation comes to, let's say, practice meditation to develop the mind, the person might say, well, uh, I have only a very limited period of time, I'll stay only for 10 days, and uh, for a retreat of 10 days, and as has happened uh, on several occasions, mm, <coughs> such a successful a person might sit after just a few days and say, sorry, sorry, uh, I've got this meeting coming up, I've got that meeting coming up, and some agreements to sign, I'm, I will be leaving. And so then there's never enough time to practice. Now, another known consequence and aspect of greed is. So we desperately desire something and we get what we want, what we desire. What happens? What happens afterwards? We want something else. 
What's that? We want more. We desire for more and more of the same thing. Now that's one um, way it works. Another possibility, another um, working or another pattern of greed is that we get what we want, what we desire. And certainly, so we have our, uh, let's say, pizza, and we have the second pizza, we have the third pizza, and certainly, gradually, we get bored with pizzas and start desiring for something else, something entirely different. So, the greed remains the same, but the objects. Uh, of Vatna the Greed changes. Now, another rather unfortunate um, complication around greed is if we don't get what we desire, what happens? Uh, hatred could come up. Uh, hatred could come up. Yes, that's correct. And suddenly, uh, then there's first the greed that suddenly does not get fulfilled and this leading on to the rising of yet another unwholesome root. So with this then, the purity of our mind will be even more compromised. Now, the object of our greed obviously can come in the form of material things. Uh, so, uh, a house uh, um, and then maybe a car, a computer and then yeah, some vacation in an uh, uh, exotic country. But the object of Fatna are greed that may also mm, come in the form of immaterial things that Satna we desire for what? We might desire for? Fame. What's that? Fame. For fame, that's it, exactly. Fame and name. We might further desire for praise, leadership, enjoyment, things. We might certainly desire to be, uh, well, leadership, uh, to be recognized, so respect uh, in the society. Now, the Buddha in a, in a passage in the Samyutta Nikaya highlights how an increase in greed implies an increased battle in life. So battling uh, with certain conditions in life, whereas the cutting of desire, the cutting off of desire for enjoyment, that 
will lead to a journey of ease and or life with ease. Now, the Buddha, in his or had a well developed, well developed capacity to understand um, aspects of society, and for instance, he singled out greed as being a prime cause of oppression and exploitation of human beings by human beings and that in turn being the cause of social and economic ruin among um, human beings. Now, A couple of stanzas from Sri Lanka that are based on the Buddha's certain teachings, but not necessarily uttered by the Buddha himself, um, are as out, out of those. The first one is as follows: Greed is the root of heedlessness. A cause of strife is greed. Greed into enslavement drags a hungry <coughs> ghost one will in future be the buddha who's who greets nature fully knows i worship him the greed free one So when it comes to bodily transgressions, how do we abandon them? We observe the precepts and we simply restrain ourselves. Restrain ourselves. That's it. We simply stop uh, you know, those certain transgressions. When it comes to verbal transgressions, again, how do we abandon them? So we speak a lot of nonsense. Reflection and then restraint. There you go. However, can this same principle also be applied to greed, hatred and delusion? What's the way of abandoning? Seeing the fault seeing the faults. In other words, first of all, looking at these uh, mental states or roots of unwholesomeness, clearly investigating them, seeing their uh, true nature. So there is a passage in the Anguttara Nikaya 10, so in the collection of Fatna the Tens, Discourse number 23, which uh, says, which are the things that can neither be abandoned by 
bodily acts nor by speech, but can be abandoned by wisely seeing them. Greed can neither be abandoned by bodily acts nor by speech, but it can be abandoned only by wisely seeing it. Hatred can neither be abandoned by bodily acts nor by speech, but it can be abandoned by wisely seeing it. Delusion can neither be abandoned by bodily acts nor by speech, but it can be abandoned by wisely seeing it. So there's a totally different approach here, and it is this it is this approach that Satna then you know, the Buddha speaks of you know, when he uh, uh, mentions citta nupasana satipatthana, namely a mindful contemplation of the mind. Now, so what to do then to abandon the first root of unwholesomeness? A number of approaches are you know, there. The first one you know, would be wise reflections. Engaging in wise reflections such as you now, when it comes to food, so if one is extremely greedy around certain food, realizing that you know, excessive eating in the context of a retreat leads to a nodding head and certainly obviously is not desired. And so instead, you know, then much more appropriate would be moderation in eating. Now, Concentration, the development of it will help to some extent to suppress this root of unwholesomeness of greed. Another approach would be to engage in uh, in the contemplation of impurity or foulness, seeing the impure aspects within ourselves, within our own body, as well as seeing the impurities in the being of or in the body of another being. Now, that approach is helpful to cut an excessive attachment to one's own body as well as the body of another person. Another very simple approach of uh, dealing with greed comes in the form of the restraint of the senses. Indriya, Samara, Sila, something that you're practicing 
already. So rather than letting the eyes go unrestrained, one makes an effort to restrain them and not to uh, look around, fully aware of the fact that every time one sees some desirable object, some desire might arise in the mind, every time one sees an undesirable object, uh, well, yeah, then some ill will might arise in the unrestrained mind. Now, there are other ways of dealing with greed. One way would be to uh, practice what is known as generosity. So to perform acts of generosity in Paditana. And the more we practice, the more this certainly becomes um, a well-established habit uh, or attitude, the more we'll be able to weaken our greed. A generous person will have less difficulties letting go of things. Now, of course, mindfulness itself is the primary way of dealing or the primary approach of dealing with greed as it comes up in its many um, variety, in its uh, uh, many uh, great variety. And so here, in particular, the contemplation of the mind is the relevant uh, part of the mindfulness practice. And so to simply know when there is a consciousness that is associated with greed and also to know when there's a consciousness that is not associated with greed or free from uh, greed. Just that certain simple presence and absence you know, condition you know, is, our, is enough you know, to at least get started with a better understanding of the nature of greed. Now, as human beings, we have this fabulous ability to identify with mental states, certain mental states. And so this we also do with greed. And so greed then becomes my greed. My greed for this, my desire, my wanting for this or that. So one um, aspect of mindfulness of greed could be to see that very identification, our identification with this mental factor of greed, and then in observing it, getting to know its nature, and eventually being able to let go of it, at least once, and then, or for first time, and then for a second time, and so on. 
Now, another practical aspect is that we tend to get caught up in the story surrounding our greed. And the thing to do here is not to look at the story in the or the context of fertile greed, but rather to look at the greed itself in order to understand its certain nature. The same thing goes certain, um, with regard to hatred. Oftentimes we feel that we identify with our hatred. It's my hatred. We justify it. And suddenly then um, we get totally caught up in the story, thinking that uh, um, uh, that we're right in what we're doing. And so in the case of hatred, just like with greed, we don't want to get caught up in the story, but rather want to focus on the mental factor itself. Another principle of mindfulness meditation is simply to observe whatever predominant object comes along. And if at times greed manifests in our meditation practice, well then it's time to look at it, whether we like it or not. Obviously, to see one's own many greedy patterns is not going to be very pleasant, but in the long run it will help us to let go of the greed more and more. Now, it is through continuity of mindfulness from moment to moment to moment that we can keep the mind relatively free uh, from uh, the arising of greed. However, this does not mean there's absolute purity there yet. Mm. In a latent form, greed will still linger on in the stream of Fatna consciousness. However, if we keep being mindful from moment to moment, then for longer and longer periods of time, the mind will be free of Fatna or purified of Fatna greed, and eventually, with the realization of Fatna, the path, noble path of stream entry, the coarsest forms of greed will be erratic, will be cut in the mind. And so the, the strongest forms of greed that otherwise would, if one would act on them, would lead to uh, taking rebirth in a state of loss, those forms of greed then uh, get uh, um, dispelled. However, greed still um, remains. Uh, certain forms of greed remain. With the attainment of the second 
noble path, namely that of one's return, the greed will be further attenuated, weakened, and it is only with the attainment, with the third attainment, namely of anagamihood, that which form of greed will be dispelled, eradicated, who knows? All forms? Coarse forms? Coarse forms? Anything more specific? The sensuous forms of greed will be uh, dispelled. However, the desire you know, for uh, uh, the future existence and so on, which is certain, an immaterial thing, that uh, non-sensuous something, that certain will still remain, and that will get get uprooted only through the realization of arahantship. Now, this brings us to you know, the end of today's Satna Dhamma talk on you know, the you know, three um, roots of unwholesomeness, and so, out of those we've dealt especially with uh, greed. Uh, we will continue with our exploration of the uh, root of uh, the hatred, the root of unwholesomeness of hatred, and certainly also you know, the root of delusion, the root of unwholesomeness of delusion, and certainly then we shall, uh, uh, in a f future Dhamma talk, also you know, take a closer look at uh, the three uh, roots of all wholesomeness. So allow me to conclude uh, by uh, wishing, may you keep uh, or remember those certain different criteria um, that certain have been given to make this distinction between what is Kusala and what is Akusala, and certain then understanding already a bit better the nature of greed may uh, we all abandon the greed as much as possible through continuity of mindfulness and other means, and uh, may we all develop as much wholesomeness as is certainly possible. And ultimately, may this lead to a realization of the peace of Nibbana during this very retreat up here in the Taoski Valley. And this is it for now.